Welcome to part two of our podcast, focusing on how disability workers can reduce the risks of transmitting COVID infection from a workplace setting to their home environment. Welcome, Bruce. Let's begin by looking at the role of disposable gowns and their use in COVID risk or positive environments. Yeah, it's a really important safety uh, factor that um, I would suggest if they have to, if they are preparing meals and then that gowns may not be the appropriate thing to be wearing in that area. Um, and they could go to a cotton gown just for use in that area, but with no patient, no patients or no clients in that area at all. They're the only one in there doing the cooking. So they're in their own environment and ventilating the room would be the safest option. Um, the gowns are quite flammable. They will, will catch fire if they're exposed to flame. So uh, and all the gowns are different. Some of them use a, a plastic spray on the inside to create a bit of a water barrier, and, and that's quite flammable. So, um, yeah, protecting themselves is really important. Um, I think one of the big things with gowns is when you're putting gowns on and off to always have the appropriate posters for donning and doffing at your donning site. That... Um, that just helps remind you the right way to put the gowns on and off. And, and each state and territory have their, their posters for donning and doffing. They're all extremely similar. So um, but the, it's very important to just check and have a buddy check that your gown is on correctly, um, that, the, that you're tied up properly at the back, that you have, the gaps are minimised. Uh, these are all really, really important things to um, take into account when you're popping your PPE on. I would think too that when we're talking about tier, like the highest level of PPE required for COVID positive and, and high COVID risk environments, you are talking about long sleeves and you're talking about a gown that fully covers you, um, that aprons are really only used much more in lower risk settings according to the Department of Health um, and Territory guidelines. Is that correct? Uh, that's absolutely correct, yes. Um, I would say by checking with your local Department of Health guidelines in your state or territory, it'll tell you what's appropriate for those different tiered levels. And most of them have got really good pictorial um, things, so you can actually see it, what's appropriate for the different levels. I'm thinking back to now that you've talked about um, if you're in an environment where you're doing something that requires um, a bit more safety around flammability, that uh, one thing... Uh, an in-home support or a residential worker could do is perhaps organise for meals to come in during the time that, you know, the person is COVID positive and the workers need to be wearing that full PPE. That way they can comply with their government um, requirements without putting themselves at risk um, in preparing meals or if there's someone else in the house that can prepare the meal, ask them to do it and just not focus on that particular life skill during that particular time. Um, it's very much about being flexible, isn't it, and adapting. Absolutely. Adaptability is the key here. If we can adapt to the various situations and uh, you might have someone who lives on their own, so having having meals brought in for the, that period of time, that 10 to 14 days, whatever it might be, might be the most appropriate way to go and the safest way to go. It also reduces um, cleanup because most of the things will be, dis a lot of the things will be disposable um, but then again, if there is someone in the house and uh, they're quite capable and competent, then getting that person to do all that preparation is, is certainly the way to go. And just be ready to respond to a changing situation um, as, it, as it arises.
you might have that person in the house preparing meals at one point in time, but then they might become ill as well. So then um, being ready to respond and have meals brought in is certainly a good option. Another thing that I think is important when we're talking about gowns is about the doffing, the taking off of the gowns. The posters are fantastic and where they can be even printed out and carried by the worker or put on their phone to help remind them what to do is really useful. But I understand that there's some concerns about how you might take them off if you're taking them off too quickly or or sort of ripping them off. Any guidance around how you take gowns off so that you're minimising the spread of any infection um, infectious agents that might be on those gowns? Well, certainly I can't stress enough by following those guidelines in the, on the posters. It's really, really important. And they're there for a reason. There was a lot of um, effort and trial went into those um, uh, posters. And the, the main reason is that we don't want to do that rip-off technique where you're grabbing the gown and tearing it and tearing the, the, the straps to get the gown off. That just creates a violent action which causes any contaminants on the gown to fly into the air. And, of course, the next thing after you take off after taking a gown off is going to be your, your mask, your face shield and mask, in which case then you'll have contaminants flying around in the air all around you uh, and you're without a mask for a period of time till you put a clean one on. So the action of, uh, as is shown in the posters, of untying, taking the gown off gently, turning it inside out, rolling it up straight into the bin, hand hygiening. Then we go to the face shield and hand hygiening. Um, that's the most appropriate and safest way. We're reducing uh, the movement of the gown and we're reducing particles coming off the gown and flying into the air. So it makes it safer. So again, it's always that attention to detail, isn't it? That, that care in what you do are the little things that are going to make it um, safer for you, safer for the people that you're working with, and in the longer term, safer for your family when you're returning home from working in a COVID-positive environment. We talked about um, the waste, you know, putting um, the PPE appropriately into uh, waste receptacles and double bagging. Are there any reusable PPE items? Well... I wish there were because um, there's a lot of waste being generated at the moment. A lot of people are very concerned about that. Um, as far as gowns go, no, there's no really good um, reusable gowns um, at the moment. And masks, no, not for the N95 P2 level masks. The only ones with masks that are reusable are like the the fire is used with the, the cartridges on the side and the cartridges need to be changed, but the mask is washable. There are reusable goggles, which are fantastic. So just your standard goggles that look like clear sunglasses, they can be reused. We just need to wipe them down with a disinfectant wipe. And then when you have access, you wash them in warm soapy water, give them a good wash and they're reusable and fine. The face shields, um, Although plastic, um, the problem is with the disposable face shields is the foam strip that goes across the forehead. That just cannot be cleaned properly. So they need to be disposed of after each use. You can get um, reusable face shields. Um, they're a little bit heavier, um, used in industry, but they're fully washable. So if you wanted to go down that path, 
you could buy some um, reusable face shields. They're a little bit they're a little bit stronger and firmer and fit on the head better. Um, and you can wash those in warm soapy water as well. Wipe them down with a disinfectant wipe. With the masks, just sort of thinking about some of the settings that disability workers um, find themselves in, we know that wearing a mask can cause a lot of anxiety for some of the people workers are supporting. Is there any way that you can make um, a face mask a bit more um, sort of interesting or accessible? I do know that there are some clear face masks that are beginning to emerge around the world, but as I understand, none of those are actually approved for use in a COVID-positive environment within Australia, uh, not at this stage. So what would you um, recommend or what have you seen people have done to make the masks a little less intense and more friendly? I think you just uh, need to be a little bit creative and uh, a lot of people will be familiar with the duckbill mask. So you can actually paint uh, some little little nose holes on the mask and it makes it a little bit of fun for people and takes away the you know typical mask look. I think a big important thing though is when you're turning up to someone's house or facility and you're going to be wearing a mask, make sure that the people in that facility know that you are coming in a certain level of PPE, whether it be just a mask or whether it's a mask and a face shield. Um, just let them know so they're, they're quite aware that when you turn up, there you are wearing that stuff. With the other masks, I, I was at a place recently. It was a medical centre, uh, general practice, and one of the girls had drawn right across her face mask. It was a flat fold mask. She'd drawn teeth. And, and a tongue coming out. Um, it looked quite funny and the kids quite liked it. You can also, um, yeah, just, just copy little drawings from things that kids like. So that can help. Um, and that's probably the biggest thing you can do, um, just to take away that just straight mask look. Uh, and if you're wearing, wearing a gown, you can draw stuff over the front of the gown with the texture just to take away that that look it looks more like just a bit of clothing you're wearing with some funny picture on the front you can put stickers on a gown as well there's no problem in doing that so yeah just make it appropriate for the person and if you know the actual person that you're going to see if they have a particular like for a particular cartoon character or something like that so if it was my little granddaughter for example bluey's the big hit at the moment so putting a bluey on the front of that would straight away um take away that uh that just straight gown look and make it quite fun yeah it's really is about trying to be flexible and and really understanding the situations that you're going into and look this none of this is ideal none of us would we would choose to be working or living in the way that we are, but it is our reality and we need to be safe and we need to, um, you know, just think outside the box a little bit in a way that doesn't breach the infection prevention control. A couple of other questions that we've had, um, Bruce, is around should workers be wearing hair and shoe covers? And I know that that's, you know, we talk about you still follow the guidelines, but um, is there any advice? thoughts about hair and shoe covers as um, extra protection if they're not recommended or not suggested by your Department of Health and or Territories guidelines? Yeah, look, I think uh, with hair, the most appropriate thing is make sure it's tied up and neat. 
that's the big thing. We don't want it flopping around. Hair seems to be a very, very uh, minimal risk for some reason. All the, the, the studies I've seen show that it is incredibly low risk, um, but some people are quite comfortable in wearing a, a hair net, for example, to keep their hair contained better or a hair cover. As far as shoes go, we actually kind of discourage the use of um, overshoes, plastic overshoes, as there's probably been more people injured from wearing them than have actually caught COVID from their shoes. So uh, sort of we don't recommend the use of shoe covers. We've had slipping injuries, um, tripping injuries that cause a trip hazard in some areas. They wear through quite quickly as well on the bottom. So uh, if you're wearing them around and then you've got to take them off and dispose of them. Uh, and so it's a lot of um, actions, if you like, for little gain. The biggest thing about shoes that I would suggest is have one pair of shoes, which is just for work. That pair of shoes is kept in the, in the boot of the car or when you get home, left on the front doorstep. So they're kept outside. Some people like, you know, to spray them with um, Glen 20 or one of those sprays. Um, it's not seemed to be a big um, a big thing that helps. I think maybe cleaning your shoes once a week with, a, with an appropriate two-in-one wipe is not a bad idea just to wipe them down and clean them. The big thing is leaving them outside. Um, the virus won't live for very long on it anyway, even if it is on your shoes. So they're, they're low-risk items. Thanks. That's great to know. Um, just a couple more things before we finish up this podcast is, of course, we can't speak about infection prevention control without speaking about COVID vaccinations. Um, that is something that across all of the states and territories in Australia is mandated for direct care, disability workers and many others across um, various workplaces. So just in terms of vaccinations, how do they fit in the infection prevention control toolbox? Look, they're, they're vitally important. And I think if we just look around the country at the moment, it's really, really clear evidence to show that we've got massive outbreak with Omnicon at the moment around the country. And there's so many people infected, but we haven't got the same proportion of people in hospital We've had a little run of people in hospital and hospitals were a bit stressed. But if we look at that, the majority of those are unvaccinated people that are going into hospital. And the ones that are succumbing to the disease are either unvaccinated, in poor health and pre-existing conditions. The people that have had their vaccinations are only getting mild illness and they're able to be managed out of hospital. It's just vitally important that we do that because it protects you, yourself. And once you're protecting yourself, you're protecting the rest of your family as well. So I think without going in any, any high-tech detail about vaccinations, I think those numbers just, just speaks for itself. Thank you. That's really um, helpful to hear. Um, lastly, I'd like to just finish off by thinking about the airflow in the rooms that you're in. <laughs> And that is, is there anything you can suggest um, for workers who are working in settings where perhaps they don't have air purifiers? We know that air purifiers are be beginning to be uh, used as an infection prevention control tool in many settings, but this is not widespread across all of um, disability settings. And it's also, we know, 
that a very significant um, proportion of disability workers are working in an individual's residence. And it's uh, probably unlikely that individuals are going to rush out and buy air purifiers. So I think we need to be practical about how we can manage airflow in a, a household setting or in a room that's, you know, perhaps a, an activity room or a, a lounge room in a residential setting. So any suggestions about um, airflow and how that can be used as part of your toolbox? Sure, sure. I'll just point out one thing with air purifiers. They, if, if you are going to look at those, they need to be an approved purifier and you also need to maintain it. So if it's purifying the air, it's actually taking all the air in the room through that purifier and then spitting out clean air or filtered air. So someone's got to manage that filter, which is going to be quite contaminated after a day's use. So you've got to have those uh, guidelines and practices in place to manage that. The key to this whole issue is ventilation and it's not actually very hard to do opening the window uh, a small way and keeping a door open will create a good ventilation through that room you may think you have to open your window up all the way and the door all the way well that'll work especially if there's a bit of breeze outside but just opening the window a very small amount say you know 20 30 centimeters having the door ajar will create a different pressure effect from inside to outside and that will actually stimulate airflow through that room. It's just simple physics really. Um, and so air will start to flow so you'll be venting that room. And I think if you're going to visit someone's home, um, a, a good thing to do would be to ring ahead and ask that person or whoever in the home to open a window, open the door, start to vent the premise so when you go in, you know that there's been some good or reasonable ventilation through that area before you arrive. That will significantly reduce any viral load in that room floating around because we do know that this variant of the virus actually floats in the air for several hours um, in its microscopic particles. So just by doing those things, you mitigate risk dramatically, very quickly. Is there any suggestions about rooms that are air conditioned? We know that this is a country that has very diverse uh, climate and you can be really hot in one place and quite cool in another. So if you've got air conditioning on in a, a residential setting, any, any recommendations there? Does the air opening a window and opening a door still apply? Yeah, opening a window is really good or a door is still really good to have it open a little bit, especially if it's an evaporative type air conditioner. The good thing about more domestic systems are that they're usually singular, singular units. So for a reverse cycle, for example, air is taken from outside, it comes in through the system, gets cooled or heated and then pushed into the room. If you have a window ajar just slightly or a door ajar slightly, that will push air through that room and it will be actually clean air coming in from outside and then just moving the air from inside that room out. So this is a really good, good system to use. In bigger offices, there tend to be a combined system. Um, so one system going to multiple parts of the building and they're the ones that become a challenge because they usually um, often or have brought air back from those rooms back into the system because it makes it cheaper to run doing it that way. So they cool down quicker or heat up quicker. So that would be my advice. Always keep the window open a little bit or the door ajar. Uh, and make sure that the system is on fresh, not recycle. That's the key. And the same in your car as well. 
make sure it's on fresh rather than recycle. Thank you. This brings us to the end of part two and completes our podcast series focusing on how disability workers can reduce the risks of transmitting COVID infection from a workplace setting to a home environment. I would like to thank Bruce Greaves, CEO of the Health Education Collaborative, for his valuable input and insights that have highlighted the additional care a worker can take when implementing their infection prevention and control, further minimising transmission of COVID. We have listed a number of key websites for resources and guidance and encourage all listeners to take advantage of using these for further review. If you have any additional questions or concerns, please contact National Disability Services for support. Thank you. For more information, go to the NDS website at nds.org.au, where you will find the NDS IPC toolkit and short videos on how to use face masks.